Uh oh. Chapter 26. You're a little early. The tabernacle. What is a tabernacle? Uh, that's a word we don't use every day. Um, now, I have a question. Does anyone have a word other than tabernacle? Somebody have a, uh, maybe an NASB or uh, NIV that has something different? I think NIV is the same. Nobody has a word other than tabernacle? Oh, boy. So, a number of different translations. I think the NASB uh, has there's the title, Curtains. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> That's what we're talking about today. Curtains. So when you guys go to school on Monday and your friends ask you, hey, what'd you do on the weekend? You can say, I heard a whole sermon on curtains. And they're going to be like, what? What are you talking about? Um, and uh, hopefully, uh, anyone excited about curtains? Come on, nerds. <laughs> um, but it is cool. And, and my job is not to preach curtains. My job is to preach Jesus. And guess what? We're going to find... We're going to find Jesus in these curtains. Um, so crazy as that might sound, um, you might be looking at these verses and kind of skimming through and say, I don't see his name here. Um, is this really about Jesus? And, and maybe you would even say, if you're going to read these verses and talk about Jesus, you've missed it. You're, you're importing something into the text. You're, you're preaching something that's not there. And, and you wouldn't be the first one to argue that. I remember teaching this years ago, and uh, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you know, just once, I would love somebody here, uh, to hear someone teach the tabernacle just for the tabernacle and not get so distracted by jumping to Jesus all the time. What about the tabernacle? Um, the problem is the tabernacle is not about the tabernacle. That's not what the tabernacle means. Um, kids, top of your fill-in. The tabernacle is about, what do you think? Anyone get that filled in already? Jesus. It's about Jesus. And, and I hope when we're done, you're going to see that. Um, it isn't actually the person who, who, who jumps to Jesus that misses the meaning of the text. The person who just sits with the tabernacle and never gets to Jesus, they've, they've missed it. They, they haven't seen what this is really about. Um, so much like we did last week, um, we're going to go through chapter 26. This is God's instructions to Moses. Here's what you're going to do. Here's how to build it. Uh, and then we're going to jump to chapter 36, and we'll see the account of how it was actually obeyed. And, and we'll see them uh, carrying out uh, obediently these commands. So we're going to go through 26 slowly and try to unpack it and understand what's there. Uh, and then uh, we'll go through 26, or sorry, 36 a little more quickly. We'll just kind of get the, you know, you'll get the more fluent look at it once we have a better understanding of, of what's there. Um, but before we read it, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, uh, we need you. Lord, we need uh, your word illumined for us that our slow hearts might be awakened again. God, help us to see your truth. Help us to see the wonder of the tabernacle, to see beyond the, the measurements and the, and the fabrics and the materials and to see the glory of your presence and the wonder of Christ. God, be with me as I speak, that you would open my mouth to, to proclaim your truth. And God, be with all of us as we listen. God, that you would form us and shape us by your word as you have promised to do, Lord. Build your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the construction of the tabernacle. Um, the tabernacle um, could be two things we could be talking about. One is kind of the whole thing, or more specifically, the tent in the middle. So we can put up that first picture. Um, this is the tabernacle. This is, I think, somebody's reconstruction of it. It's not original picture, sorry. Um, it looks like a power box down in the bottom, which is why I think it might be modern. I don't think the original had electricity. Um, but there it is. So we're talking about that tent in the middle. There's the courtyard around and the, and the altar and the wash basin and then this, the tabernacle proper, the tent in the middle. And you see the, the fabric covering over the top of it. That's where we're going to start. Um, 
And I have to admit, I read through these chapters like five times and was just trying to put pieces together and understand what it's talking about. So I'm hopeful that we can go through it once um, with a little bit of help along the way and that you'll have a good understanding of, of what these verses mean. Uh, but we're going to start with the, the innermost layer, the bottom layer that you can't see from here um, of the, the fabric that covers the tabernacle. Um, chapter 26, verse 1. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. So we've got ten curtains of linen um, made from blue, purple, and scarlet yarn um, with a cherubim. Anybody know what a cherubim is? Adults, you can't answer. You were here last week. You were here last week. Grace May, what's a cherubim? Do you know? That's the perfect answer. It's sort of like an angel. Um, they are angelic beings. They, they dwell in the presence of God. Um, but they're crazy things. Um, the descriptions in the Bible are full of symbolism and wild stuff. But they're an angel of some kind, skillfully worked in. Um, so uh, Grant, throw picture number two. There we go. Um, sorry, that's hard to look at. But that's, uh, that's somebody's rendition of what these curtains might have looked like. So you see ten curtains running top to bottom. Um, blue and, and purple and scarlet, and then the, the white thing or the, the, their idea what the cherubim might have looked like. We don't, we don't know what was in those uh, weaved into the fabric there. Um, but there's, there's these 10 curtains, uh, and then we're going to pick up at verse 2. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, um, so that's 42 feet. And the breadth of each curtain, uh, 4 cubits, that's 6 feet. All the curtains shall be the same size. And verse 3, five curtains shall be coupled to one another. That kind of confused me. How do you couple five? The word coupled just means joined. So five curtains should be joined together, sewn together probably. And the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. So we now have these two big curtains made up of five curtains each. Verse 4, you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. So your five curtains on the outermost curtain, loops of blue. Likewise, you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain on the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another, so they would line up together. And you shall make fifty clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to another with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. So that's what we have here in this picture. They're all connected together. Five on one side, five on the other, sewn together. And then in the middle, they're, they're hooked together with these loops of fabric and, uh, and these golden clasps or hooks. Um, so that's the first layer. That's the bottom level of fabric that would only be seen from the inside. And then we get to the second layer, a fabric made from goat's hair. Felt kind of a feeling thing, maybe. I don't know. Um, verse 7, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a, for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains you shall make. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. And the eleven curtains shall be the same size. So this time we have eleven instead of ten, so it's a little bit wider. It's one curtain wider, and they're thirty cubits instead of twenty-eight, so it's a little bit longer. Um, Verse 9, you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. So they're sewn together. The sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. And you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain at the outermost of one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain on the outermost of the second set. So very similar. It's all linked together again. Um, You shall make 50 clasps of bronze and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. So the innermost layer, you'll notice this a few different places, has gold. And as we get further out, it turns then to bronze. Um, So all these curtains, a, a little wider, a little longer, and that's covering the first layer completely. Um, verse 12 then, we're getting close to the end of curtains. The part that remains of the curtain of the tent uh, and the half curtain that remains, because this one's bigger, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and the extra that remains in length of the curtains, the cubit on one side and the cubit on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle um, on this side and on that side to cover it. And then verse 14 just mentions the last two layers. You shall make 
for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and a covering of goat skins. So let's throw picture three up. Um, this is kind of what it looked like if we were to peel the layers back. So you see the red and blue and purple layer, and then the white layer would be the, the goat's hair, and then the tanned ram skin, uh, and then the, uh, the goat skin on top. And, and you can see how the inner layer is a little bit shorter, and the white layer, because it's longer, would come and wrap under at the front. Um, that's the instruction so far. Um, so the last two layers, tanned ram skin, some kind of leather, and, and goat skin, and, and that's our four layers. Um, now, we kind of struck out on this earlier. Um, does anybody have something different? As you look at your Bible, that last material in chapter 14, does anyone have something other than goat skin? What do you got, Rick? Badger. Okay, what does yours say? Sea cow. I had my mom and her old KJV is out. No? Okay. Someone else have something different? So we have badger, sea cow, yeah. Ram, okay. Um, it's all over the place. Um, other translations say porpoise, dolphin, leather, seal skin. Um, what's going on here? What was it? We don't know. Uh, it's a word that doesn't show up anywhere else in the Bible than this layer of the tabernacle. It doesn't show up anywhere else in ancient literature. Um, we don't know. So we're guessing. Maybe it was sea cow. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, fine leather is one option. Maybe that's it. Um, but, but we're guessing. It's the top layer of the tabernacle. Uh, but those are the four layers of the curtains over the top, layer, over the, top of the tabernacle and, and each layer is made up of these 10 individual curtains joined together. Um, and now that you kind of have a picture of it in your head and you kind of know what we're talking about, let me read um, from chapter 36, um, starting in verse 8. Um, just kind of get the flow of the picture. And, and this, is, um, this is Bazalel that, that God had, had given his spirit for building these things. Uh, this is him obeying and, and doing what he was told to do. So chapter 36, verse 8. And the craftsmen and among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the breadth of each, cubit, each curtain four cubits. And the curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains to one another and five curtains he coupled to another. And he made loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain of the first set. Likewise, he made them on the edge of the outermost curtain of the second set. And he made 50 loops on the one curtain and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. The loops were opposite one another. And he made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains one to another with clasps. So the, temple, so the tabernacle was a single whole. He also made curtains of goat's hair. For a tent over the tabernacle, he made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain was 4 cubits. The 11 curtains were the same size. He coupled 5 curtains by themselves and 6 curtains by themselves. And he made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain of the one set, and 50 loops on the edge of the connecting curtain. And he made 50 clasps of bronze to connect the tent together, that it might be a single whole. And he made for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and tanned goat skins. So there it is. He did it. Man, you notice the detail? Like it could have just said, and they did it, but it just walks through every piece. They did exactly as they were commanded, right down to the, the smallest detail. Um, they made these coverings. So that's the, that's the layers of cloth. Um, kids, how many of you guys have made blanket forts at home? Yeah, but you need more than blankets, don't you? What, do you, what else do you need? Books, support. You need something to hold the blankets up, right? You got to pull the couches together so you can lay it over. Um, we need more than just these materials. We need a structure. So um, the next section here is not as long, but it talks about the walls. Um, so back in chapter 6, verse 15, we'll see how the walls are put together. 26, verse 15, you shall make upright frames, um, maybe just boards, um, for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame, and ten cubit, ten, sorry, and a cubit and a half, the breadth of each frame. So ten cubits, that's about 15 feet, and, and the cubit and a half, that's about two feet wide. 
Verse 17, there shall be two tenons on each frame for fitting together. And so you shall do for all the frames of the tabernacle. Now, Shane's tracking along. Josh has got this. We understand tenons. I don't. Um, a tenon's just a peg. I looked it up. Uh, <laughs> it's just a, a peg that goes into a hole. And uh, so uh, picture four, um, the, uh, the boards there. There we go. There's, there's one shot at it. See the, the frame? And underneath are those two pegs on the bottom and then the silver bases. Two pegs, two bases. Um, and so um, that's kind of how it went together. Um, verse 18. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, 20 frames for the south side, and 40 bases of silver you shall make under the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, 20 frames, and there are 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames. And you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear. And they shall be separated beneath, but joined at the top at the first ring. Thus it shall be with both of them. They shall, they shall form the corners. And there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases, two bases under one frame, and two bases under another frame. All right, so 20 boards per side. Two bases under each board, um, six frames at the back with an added one on either side at the corners to give it some kind of stability. And, and so that makes eight total at the back uh, and two bases under each frame. And they have these standing walls now. Um, verse 26 um, gives it a little more strength, uh, stability. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames on the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames on the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames on the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. So uh, picture five, here's the bars that would run um, kind of horizontally, you see them along the side. Um, there's three in the middle and there would have been one top and one bottom. Um, they're, they're keeping those boards from flopping. They're all strung together. Verse 28, the middle bar halfway up the frames, you shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and shall make their rings of gold for holders for the bars and you shall overlay the bars with gold and then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it, plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. So everything inside then is, is gold. This is the walls inside and that fabric we talked about would go over the top. They would see the gold and then the purple and blue and red fabric with the cherubim weaved in at the top. Um, it's... It's all very beautiful. And they put it together exactly how it was explained, the whole thing. Um, 15 feet tall, 15 feet wide, 45 feet long. Um, so I don't know if you guys know what that means. I don't know what that means. So let's get a little bit of help here. I had to go digging deep into my garage for some of my old concrete tools. Caleb, do you want to grab the end of this? Let's run that out to 42 feet. What are we going? All right, 42 feet. 45 feet. Slow down, I can't see. Whoa, keep going. Go all the way back. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Okay, slow down. What am I at? 27. Keep going. Back to the kitchen. All right, let's pull it tight. We'll get a little extra here. 38. Keep going. Whoa, 45. Boom. So there we go. That's how long it is. So, I mean, we can fit it in here. It's not huge. Okay, bring it in. Now let's do 15 feet. Come up this way. Stand over here. Go out a little further. Ready? 14, 15. There we go. You're past half. We could almost fit two in here. It's not huge. It's not huge. And then, thank you, Caleb and 15 feet high. So if I run this to nine feet and hold it at my head, oh, I thought I'd get nine feet out of it. Oh, I'm not gonna get to. It's like two feet higher than this. So that makes sense to you? A little bit higher than this, 45 feet long, 15 feet wide. Um, that's our tabernacle. That's our little building in the middle of the desert, surrounded by three million people, this is where the Lord said, I will, I will come and dwell. So again, 
um, understanding this a little better, let me flip to um, chapter 36. And we'll read about the, the frames and the bars there. It's chapter 36, starting in verse 20. Then he made the upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits was the length of a frame and a cubit and a half its breadth of each, the breadth of each frame. Each frame had two tendons for fitting together. He did this for all the frames of the tabernacle and the frames of the tabernacle, tabernacle he made thus. 20 frames for the south side and 20, and he made 40 bases of silver under the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. For the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, he made 20 frames and there are 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame and two bases under the next frame. For the rear of the tabernacle westward, he made six frames. He made two frames for the corner of the tabernacle in the rear and they were separated beneath, but joined at the top at the first ring. And he made two of them this way for the two corners. And there were eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases under every frame, two bases. He made bars of acacia wood, five for the frames on the one side of the tabernacle, five bars for the frames on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the tabernacle at the rear westward. And he made the middle bar to run from end to end, halfway up the frames. And he overlaid the frames with gold and made their rings of gold for the holders of the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. Now we still have two more curtains to look at, but let's just stop there. What is this about? I mean, so it's neat, but who cares? What does this mean for us? What does this tell us about God? How on earth does this come back to Jesus? I want to take a minute as we kind of turn that corner to just think about how to read your Bible well, because um, this can be done really poorly, and, uh, and it can be tricky. And, and as we talk about these verses and what they mean, I, I want us to ask, what's the right way to find Jesus in the Old Testament? You guys have been distracted by pictures, now you're back in the fill-in. What's the right way to find Jesus? There are people who do some crazy things with the Bible, do you know that? There are people who, who try to give every letter a number and then do math and figure out what the math means. There are people who put the Bible into computers and ask, you know, what's every 34th letter? Does it spell something? Okay. God didn't give us a code. He gave us a letter. He wrote it for us to understand. Um, and as you're reading the tabernacle, particularly um, a few hundred years ago, um, they would find all kinds of crazy meaning in the tabernacle um, that I just don't think is there. They would have meaning behind the tent pegs and how they're half buried and half out of the ground. And that teaches us about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going, I don't think it does. Um, how did you get there? And yet there is meaning in the tabernacle. There is something kind of behind the surface. So how do we do that well? How do we read the Old Testament and see Jesus in it? Well, one of the ways that we see Jesus through the Old Testament is what? Anyone have a guess on what to put in that first one? Or is it already up? Oh, it's not up yet. You got what's, what's one of the ways we see Jesus in the Old Testament? We talk about it a lot at the dinner table the last couple of weeks. Uh-oh. Prophecy, right? There's all kinds of places where it says, you know, when the, when the rescuer comes, this is what he's going to be. And, the, and God's given these direct prophecies. But um, these verses that we just read, is that prophecy? No, no, it's just a story of what happened. It's these details on the tabernacle. So another way that we often see Jesus in the Old Testament uh, is in what are called types. A type is a real person or an event or an institution like the tabernacle um, that God used to, to point forward to something greater. So it's a real story, a real person, a real thing that God used to point forward to something greater. That's a, that's a type. So we're looking for types. When, we, when we're looking for types, just because we like to sound fancy, we call it typology. Because you've got to have a special word for this kind of thing. And I think the easiest way to think about typology, as you're reading the Old Testament, is, is to be looking at each story on three levels. This isn't your... Fill in yet. Don't get confused. Um, we'll get to those three questions. Um, 
but you're reading and you want to see it on three levels. So the first level is just the historical events. What really happened on that day with that person? It's the life of, of Noah and, and Moses or David, whoever you're reading about. And, and, and that's just the ground level details. And we've got to understand that. We've got to understand what really happened. And, and it's at that level that we often learn like, yeah, you know what? God doesn't honor lying. Or, or we need to learn to trust God. And, and there's some kind of moral application there that's, that's good. When we take one step back, we, we kind of see the little bit broader level, the bigger picture of what God is doing in that, that kind of season of history, right? Maybe it's the creation of the world. And we ask, how does how Adam and Eve fit in the creation of the world? And we start to put it together and go, oh man, they're like the pinnacle. They're the high point of this creation story. And we see it in that kind of, that level. And then we have to ask, what's the bigger picture? The third level, we take one more step back and we look at what's called redemptive history. Redemptive history starts at creation, through the fall into sin, through Jesus coming, and it ends in eternity. It ends in consummation. But my daughter didn't understand that word when I was trying to explain it. So from, from creation to consummation, beginning to end, this whole big picture, and we're looking at that level, that's where we see Jesus. That's when we can begin to understand and look for these types. And, and so and here we, here's your, your fill-in, guys. Um, when we're looking for types, we need to ask three questions. Three questions we need to be asking. How does this fit into God's big plan? Where does this story fit into that redemption, redemption history? And then does this story fit a theme in the Bible? Are there regular themes that show up through the Bible that this story kind of contributes to and fits into? And then lastly, does this story point forward to something greater? That's what a type is. And we see a theme come up and this story has, has a, a hint in it to something that we're going to see get bigger and greater as we go further and into the New Testament. So not every story in the Bible has typology in it, um, but it's a lot. And it's weaved through there. And as you're reading stories, again, of, of Noah and, and David and, and Samuel and Samson, and, and, and we find these hints, these, they're, they're just kind of these quiet promises told in a story. And now we just have to admit, as we're doing that, sometimes with typology, we can be really confident. Like, this is, this is it. This is a type pointing forward to Jesus. Uh, and, and we can do that when the Bible tells us we can do that, right? So, so we're reading, and, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life who came down from heaven. And we go, hey, guess what? The manna, the first bread that came down from heaven, it was a type of Jesus. We know that because Jesus tells us it is. But there are other times that we just need to kind of use an open hand and admit it looks like it. And there's a little more art than science here. And, and we're kind of guessing at this. And the, the further down into the details you go, the, the more we should be hesitant and say, you know, maybe. Um, and we just want to be careful with that. We want, to, we want to be careful that we're not making things up and, and just reading into it um, and, and being too creative for our own good. Good typology, good types is when, when, it's, when it's clearly what God was intending to teach through that story as part of this bigger picture, again, moving from, from lesser to greater. And, and so let's put that to practice with this tent. Close-up level, what's going on? They're building the tent. They're building the tabernacle, right? God has rescued these people out of Egypt and they're, they're coming into the wilderness. They've come to Mount Sinai and God's given these instructions to build this tent. And it's, a, it's a temporary portable structure and God had promised that he was gonna come and dwell among them. Let's take one step back. What's well, a little bit of the bigger picture? God promised. I'm gonna take you to be my people and, and I'll be your God. And, and you will know that I am the Lord and I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this is, this is a key part of, of him building Israel into his special people as his presence is going to come and dwell among them in the tabernacle. But, but third level, let's zoom right out. Where does this fit in that whole story of redemptive history? And, and what is the theme that it picks up on? It's the presence of God. That's a huge theme through the Bible, right? Right? Get this, 
Jesus is the new and greater tabernacle. The tabernacle is a type of Jesus. If we got real picky, we'd say the tabernacle is the type, the picture. Jesus is called the antitype, the fulfillment. And so uh, we have this theme running of the presence of God. It shows up in the Garden of Eden. They, they walked with God. They had God's presence with them. And then when they sin, they lose the presence of God. That's broken, and, and there's this tragedy. In the tabernacle, God is making a way for his presence to return. And, and there's this strange contrast in the tabernacle. Here's, we can push a little further into the typology here. The tabernacle has these elements that point heavenward to the glory of God. You have the cherubim, you have the, the gold and, and the precious stones. And yet all of that glory and majesty is squished down into this little tent. It's covered in leather. It's hiding in the wilderness. A tent, it's a, it's a dwelling for a nomad. It wasn't, it wasn't a glorious palace, just a tabernacle. Let's look at it again. Picture six, Grant. Um, just, it just doesn't look like much. The God of the universe, the God that created those mountains that you saw out there this morning, the God who put the sun into the sky and the stars came down and said, I will dwell there in this tent. God Almighty came down to dwell in a tent. But the tabernacle is not the end of the story, right? This is the beginning of what God is doing. He's, he's pointing forward. He's promising something greater to come. And so we just shouldn't be surprised as we're reading through the Bible and, and we're hearing glimpses of this presence of God that's going to come, that God will be with his people. And then we come to a stable and a manger and a little baby lying in the hay that God once again humbled himself and would dwell, become a man, and dwell among his people. Jesus is the new, greater tabernacle. The glory of God come into human flesh. John 1.14 tips us off. The Word, that's Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that word dwelt could actually be translated tabernacled. He came to camp among us. He's here. It's this temporary dwelling of human flesh with us. And it goes on to say, we've seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. When the, when the tabernacle's finished, this is gonna be our, our rejoicing climactic finish as we, as we end the book of Exodus in chapter 40. The glory of God comes down and fills the tabernacle. And in Jesus, we see the glory of God made visible. The tabernacle is pointing forward to Jesus. It, it, again, it's, it's Christmas. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. So there's this progression of the presence of the Lord lost through sin, coming to dwell in the tabernacle and then the, the tabernacle um, travels with them through the wilderness. Once they get to the promised land, they build the temple. But the, the temple tabernacle are kind of one same stream here. And then in Christ. And finally, the glory of God put on display in Christ. He's the, the fulfillment of it. So if you want to know God, if you want to see God, you look at Jesus. He's it. He's God come to be with us. There's no way to come to God except through Jesus, right? That was the point of the tabernacle and the temple. If you want to meet Yahweh, that's where you find him. No one comes to the Father except through him. So the tabernacle is this type of Jesus. Jesus is the, the new and greater tabernacle, but there's more than just that. Jesus also came to do what the tabernacle could never do. And that brings us to these last two curtains. Um, look back with me at Exodus 25. Let's understand what these curtains are about. Verse 31, You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twine linen, 
and it shall be made with cherubim, skillfully worked into it, and you shall hang, on, hang it on four pillars of acacia, overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. And you shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the presence of the most holy place, and you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table, and you shall put the table on the north side. So we're going to worry about the, the table and the lampstand uh, in a couple weeks here. But this right now is just this, these curtains. That's the inside curtain that he just described. Um, picture seven is, uh, has this. So this is the, the tabernacle cut away. Um, and you can kind of see inside. And so you see the, that inside curtain that holds, uh, that separates between this, this main area is called the holy place. And that back room with the Ark of the Covenant is called the most holy place. So let's keep that up there for a little while. Verse 36, you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent. This is the one out front of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. So we have these two screens, these two curtains. Um, the last verses, 36 and 37, describe that front door of the tabernacle. That's what you would see from the outside. Um, now, I think this picture gets something wrong. Did anybody notice it? I don't think there's supposed to be cherubim on the front curtain. It didn't say that. Maybe it says embroidered with needlework. Maybe that's the cherubim, but that's my guess. Um, but we have this screen on the front. That's the outside layer. That's what you would see looking in. And this curtain hung from five pillars of gold, uh, or acacia wood overlaid with gold, closing off the front of the tabernacle to the courtyard, to the outside world. But even once you pass through that curtain into the holy place, uh, and, and only a priest could do that. You had to be born of the right family and grow up and be trained to, to go into the holy place. But there was still another curtain. Um, this one we call the veil. And it was also made of red, blue, and purple linen with cherubim weaved onto it. And it hung from four golden pillars. Uh, and it separated the holy place from the most holy. Um, just a short recounting in chapter 36, um, verses, verse 35. Here's the, the creation of it. He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. With cherubim skillfully worked into it, he made it. And for it he made four pillars of acacia and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold and they cast them from the four bases of silver. He also made a screen for the entrance of the tabernacle of blue, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. And its five pillars with their hooks he overlaid their capitals and their fillets of gold with five bases of bronze. So there's the front door and the veil. Notice uh, Exodus 26 uh, verse 33, it tells us why the veil is there. It says, You shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. So again, that first room is the holy place, and it's cut off. It's still separate from the most holy. And it was in that most holy place sometimes called the Holy of Holies, that the presence of God would dwell. We talked last week about the Ark of the Covenant and the wonder of what God said, my, my presence will dwell there above the mercy seat. And in that presence, that tabernacle is where God would be. And there's still separation. It's still cut off. It's not accessible. God is there amongst them, but, but there's the wall. The job of the veil was to separate God from the people. It was there for them so that they would not be consumed by the holiness of God. And it's interesting. Um, notice that veil has no opening, right? It's not, it's not like curtains that you pull aside. It's one curtain top to bottom, side to side. 
the, the priest that went in would have to crawl underneath or work his way through at the edge. They're reminded of their sinfulness. The same sinfulness that removed the presence of God from them in the Garden of Eden still separated them from the most holy place. Only once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies for one purpose, and that was to take in the blood of the sacrifice and put it on top of the mercy seat. The work of the tabernacle was incomplete. The work of the tabernacle was incomplete. The presence of God is near, but it's not finished. It's not open. And Jesus, when he came, this new and greater tabernacle, he did what the original tabernacle could never do. Hebrews 10 uh, is just rich on this. You might want to flip there. Uh, You may want to spend some time this afternoon if you have a chance to just read through Hebrews 10 and it will leave you wondering in awe and scratching your head. Um, Verses 1 to 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, there's typology, right? The law is a shadow of good things to come. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. So the the law can't do it. The law is just a shadow of what's to come. It can't make the people perfect. Verse 2, Otherwise will they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer be conscious of sin. They, They wouldn't have to come again and again if it had worked the first time. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The reason they had to come every year is because it was never possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It just it was their hope that God would one day take away sin, that he would one day deal with this problem that separated them. And it was a reminder of sin every year as they came to the Day of Atonement that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so the veil remained. That separation was there. Down in in Hebrews 10 to verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that can never take away sin, but, oh, there's some good buts in the Bible, but... When Christ had offered all, for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's what Jesus did. He came and offered one sacrifice for all time. And who knows what happened when, when Jesus died on the cross? What happened in the Holy of Holies? The veil. It's ripped. Matthew 27, 50. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. How cool is that? I mean, God, he can't be any clearer. It's done. The veil is torn. The way is open. Because of Jesus, the way to God is open. The veil is taken away. That sin that had separated us from the, from the, the presence of God has been dealt with. And, and that's why Jesus sits down. You know, there's no, there's no chairs in the tabernacle because the priests are never done their work. It continually goes on and on and over and over. And when Jesus comes, he offers his sacrifice and he sits down. Done. It's finished. A little further down in Hebrews 10, picking up at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, because of this, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made and the veil is torn, we have confidence. Do you think any Israelite ever had confidence to go into the holy place? No way. But we have confidence to enter the holy places, both of them, by the blood of Jesus 
by the new and living way that is open for us through the curtain. That's the veil. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart, with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And there's all kinds of pointing back to the, the sacrificial system there and the, the things that they would do. But the point is Jesus fulfilled it all. He did it. And so now we, as not even, we, we weren't just not priests. We weren't even Israelites. We were way outside. And God says, no, now we come in with confidence, being washed, being made pure through the veil because of Jesus. By faith in Jesus, we who are sinful, who've been separated from God's presence because of his sacrifice on the cross can now enter into the presence of God, can do what 99.9% what of even the priests never got to do. This has huge implications for us today and, and for eternity. What does this mean for us today? It's actually really interesting that the typology of the tabernacle continues. It doesn't stop at Jesus. Jesus makes us the new tabernacle. This, this blew my mind. I hadn't thought of it this way in, the, in the, the, the line of the tabernacle. This changed the way I came to worship this morning. Ephesians 2, verse 20, speaking of the church, Paul says, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. It's the tabernacle. Those who trust in Jesus are being joined together into a new temple, a new dwelling place for God on this earth. That's us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? You become the holy of holies. As God's spirit dwells in you, as he transforms our lives, we become what the tabernacle was, what the temple was, that picture of this is the way to God. This is the way to be right with him. This is what his presence looks like as they see your, your faith and your trust in him and your obedience to him. And then in some unique way, more than just separately, as we gather together as the church, this whole structure, um, this network of people is being built together. And this gathering becomes the holy of holies. As we stand together to worship the very presence of God dwells among us. As it once did above the Ark of the Covenant, it is now here. That'll just take our breath away. <laughs> That's amazing. We ought to come Sunday morning with a sense of, of awe and wonder. Maybe a little fear and trembling. I mean, People will say, oh, I would, have, I would have loved to have seen the tabernacle and they build like we saw these, these models of the tabernacle out in the desert. And oh, wouldn't it be cool to have seen that? Or the, or the temple, wouldn't it have been amazing to go and see the temple? Maybe. But how much more would they have said, said oh, I would love to know what the church will be. What would it be like when God's presence dwells right among his people? When he's there with them. When they gather in the Holy of Holies to worship, what would that be like? It's amazing. This is why we come with that sense of honor and respect. The presence of God is here. Now, we come with confidence. We come with rejoicing and celebration. I think we're right to come with, with joy and music and dancing. In fact, we're encouraged to. We ought to recognize um, we, we come to have what, what hundreds of generations before Jesus never had. They never even were allowed a peek in beyond the curtain. So that's what we have now. We are a new tabernacle, 
but we also look forward to the, a greater fulfillment still. Heaven is the final tabernacle. That's where it all comes together. When all of God's elect have been gathered into the church, when sin and Satan and death itself are finally and completely done away with, the final judgment will happen and all that will be left are the saints of God, his redeemed children. And then the full culmination of God's great plan will come. The presence of the Lord. Not, not just restored like it was in the Garden of Eden, but far, far greater. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne. What's God's declaration over his new heavens and his new earth? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What does he say that three, four times? He will dwell with them. He will be with them. And then further down, verse 22, and I saw no more temple in the city. There's no more temple. There's no more tabernacle. For the temple is the Lord, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. There's no temple because there's no need for a symbol of God's presence because there is the reality of God's presence right there. God himself and the lamb, that's Jesus, are the temple. Fully, completely into the presence of God. That's what we look forward to. That's what Jesus came to accomplish on the cross, to, to open the way for us to enter into the presence of the Lord. To, to live as um, this tabernacle, as dwelling places for God on this earth and looking forward to that eternity to come. That's what the tabernacle means for us. That's where Christ is in these pile of curtains. What an amazing hope that is.